This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. All right, what is going on? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Alex Bush. Alex, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to dive into a few topics. Of course, dude. So for the listeners who might not know, will you just give us a quick background on who you are and what you're up to? Absolutely. Uh, so as Jeremiah said, I am Alex Bush. I am a co-owner of Physique Development, as you guys have uh, both heard. Uh, the other two co-owners, Sue Bush, my wife, and Austin Current, who was the best man in my wedding. Uh, so Austin and I started Physique Development uh, six years ago while we were both in college. And uh, Physique Development is a coaching service. We work with, with individuals who are just looking to lose uh, fat, gain muscle. We work with competitors. Uh, we've been educating and, and working with hundreds of, of clients over the, the six-year time frame. Um, but we started it while we were in college and it was a true, true passion. Now, the first few years, I will say that we had very, very few clients, um, but absolutely loved it. Um, we, we started Started truly with like $10 programs, just reaching out on Facebook, direct messages, um, and just asking people if we could write them training. And uh, $10 was kind of the the median, but um, we were also willing to like be talked down from that, which I <laughs> I think is funny now to be like, oh, $5? Okay, I'll still do it. Um, and so that's kind of how we got things rolling. And we were doing kind of YouTube videos and uh, explaining to people kind of what it was like in college where we were working multiple jobs with starting the business and then also taking, you know, 16 to 18 credit hours uh, and balancing it all and, and showing us, you know, training at two o'clock in the morning, which is not something I would advise now as, as a coach. Um, uh, but yeah, we would have videos of us training super late at night just because it was literally the only time that we had to train. And, uh, that's kind of the uh, initial thing. I've got my bachelor's in, in exercise science, all the fun stuff, um, from a education, but I'm a, a geek through and through. I love it, man. I loved hearing you guys talk as well about like you posted the other day about kind of the beginnings of physique development. I believe I saw you post about like the, like hitting up everybody on Facebook. Everybody, everybody did. Yeah. So all that's so relatable to me. So I love, I love hearing you guys talk about that. But today, I really wanted to dive into, I wanted this to be a discussion around your philosophies for kind of training, nutrition, mindset as a whole for coaching women for physique development. So I'd love okay. to kick this off just by asking, are there a few, so for like new clients that you take on at physique development, women that are trying to achieve a great physique, are there a few most common mistakes you see people making before they start with you? Absolutely. Um, I would say the most common, I'll give three. Uh, with training, it's really not training hard. Uh, training wise, they are simply going through the motions. They're following maybe some, some Instagram uh, people's like swipe workouts at this moment. Um, and just not really having any regimented training, never have been in a position to where they've had the external uh, guidance to really be pushed. They've not had a, a coach in the gym with them or anything like that. And they've just gone in and, and you know, kind of still don't know what their strength is. And so right. assessing that strength is, is huge within the, the training facet. Okay. Okay. And then, um, yeah. or go ahead. 
Uh, and then I was just going to add just from a nutrition perspective, generally going to be, uh, that they're just under consuming, uh, just chronically dieting and, and figuring that out. And then from a hormonal perspective, uh, just not having a consistent cycle, uh, ensuring that that's, you know, a big thing that we've got to address initially, uh, and just overall taking care of their health as a whole. Okay. Okay. And I feel like that is, I'm sure it's super relatable to a lot of the audience. So then when you bring on a client, would you say that like clients that come to the physique development or that you work with specifically, are they generally pretty advanced? They already kind of are on top of all of this or is there generally like, Hey, we're going to spend a couple months just getting these things right before we focus on anything else. Um, I think that within physique development, we have a vast array of, of clientele. So we've got, yeah. um, a handful of coaches on the staff. And uh, I think that everybody kind of has their own niche that they work well with. And right. so there, there certainly are clients that come to us that don't have a ton of experience resistance training, or they've had a, an extended period of time away from the gym and they're needing to get back into the swing of things. They're needing to learn how to track macros, all those different things. Um, and so within our clientele, it's, it's going to be pretty wide. And that's my goal. Uh, that was our goal. You know, when we got it started is that we would be able to service everyone that was able to be there, uh, not ourselves, because obviously extending yourself into all of those different facets is, is extremely draining and not from a coaching perspective, but being able to have coaches on staff that can handle different aspects and being able to filter them to the right coach so that they're in that person's wheelhouse is very beneficial for us. Okay. Okay. So let's speak to this individual then that's starting coaching. They, it sounds like they've been training, but not necessarily getting as close to failure, not necessarily pushing themselves to the limits where they truly could be. If they're chronically under consuming, likely an irregular cycle. What's kind of when you're building, and again, these are very general questions, so feel free right. to answer it as broad as you can. <laughs> okay. But um, what's kind of your, your training nutrition? What are your priorities? Like, hey, here's what these first couple months are going to look like so we can build a solid foundation for you going forward. Yeah. Uh, so when a client comes with a handful of what would be considered issues, if you will, um, I'm going to pinpoint specifically one because if, if I go in and I'm like, okay, we're going to fix everything. It's a complete overhaul. The likelihood of adherence is extremely low as well right. as the client is just going to be kind of starstruck and being like, uh, I don't really know about all this. And so letting them kind of have, let, let's say that they just like love orange theory, like that's their thing. And, uh, they want to keep up with that. Then we've got to fuel them for that type of training as much as we can, as much as I want to get them out of orange theory and into some true resistance training at that moment, when we get started, I've got to pick one. I can either start with the orange theory or I can start with fueling their training. I'm probably going to start with fueling them better. Um, and so the big focus there would be nutrition, getting their digestion in a good place, water intake, their sleep. Now, once those things are fixed and, and doing well, okay, now it's like, okay, let's, let's get into some of my resistance training. Maybe we just go to orange theory, maybe once a week, or maybe we only do it twice a week if they're going a, a bunch. So, um, it, it's a matter of, of, creating a plan and not just dumping all of these, you know, new things on the person's plate and being like, well, right. best of luck. Right. Right. I feel like that for me has been one of the hardest like evolutions I've had to make over a coaches the last couple of years, even like looking at a client's email check-in and okay, there's eight different things here that I want to address, but I know like 
if I hit you like, hey, get back to me on this, get back to me on this, get back to me on this, it's more likely than not that just none of that's going to happen. So kind of just choosing like, okay, what are one to two most important things here that we absolutely need to address and rolling with those first. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the big thing is that, um, when you try to prioritize everything, basically everything is, is not prioritized. So picking one to three things within their, uh, protocols to really start to master. And right. once they get more comfortable there, and now that becomes part of their routine, now we can kind of push that to the side and say, okay, this is part of the game plan. Now she or he has this all figured out. Now we move into the next, you know, two or three priorities or whatever it is. Right. Okay. Okay. And it sounds for, like for you, generally that number one priority is going to be related to nutrition. Would you say that's true? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 The, the, the big thing is that because once you get the nutrition in place, training gets fun. Uh, training right. sucks in, when you don't have the nutrition in place. If you don't have, if you don't have the nutrition in place, you don't have the sleep in place. You don't have the stress mitigation in place. Training, it just isn't as fun. And so, right. and you don't see as, as rapid of progress, especially when you're programming properly. So um, that's the biggest thing is that if you put the best training program in front of them, but they can't digest any of the food that they're having, they're under eating, like that training is just not going to work as well as it could. So you get all those other things in place and training gets super fun. Perfect. Perfect. I love it, man. I couldn't agree more. So let's have a nutrition a bit more then. So are there any special physiological considerations you're taking into account when you're designing a nutrition protocol for like a female athlete versus a male? Um, the, the difference there would be, um, just being able to handle probably a little bit more, uh, fat intake. So when we're looking at sex hormone production and some of the lipid soluble, um, vitamins and things of that nature that we need for uh, thyroid function, as well as, um, sex hormone production as a whole. I think that that's the big focus and, and many women are going to be under consuming fats. And so for right. uh, on the, on the general terms, uh, what we would see is if somebody was eating very low calories, they may have some where they're eating maybe that caloric intake for four or five days. And then they probably have two or three days where they're just over consuming or they're just not tracking. Right. And so those days they're having a higher fat intake, but they're not necessarily tracking it. So getting them on a continuous intake and then also having that higher fat allotment can be helpful um, as we're trying to regulate um, menstrual cycle or anything like that. Uh, so that would be the, the biggest consideration and just finding a protein set point that's going to allow for their recovery to be maximized as well as sit well with our digestion because with women specifically, like with, with some of, of, of our girls, I can really push up protein. I, I enjoy having them have protein if digestion's in place just for the sheer right. fact of satiation um, and, and overall recovery. But you know, some athletes just physically from a digestive perspective don't handle the protein as well. So being able to put things into place, trial and error and, and adherence over that time and, and making adjustments according to what the feedback is from week to week is important. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So as far as that fat intake goes, is there kind of a floor, like, for example, you'll often hear the number 0.3 grams per pound of body weight around there. Is there kind of like a minimum threshold, so to speak, of fat you like to get your female athletes, like in this situation too? 
the the minimum threshold I would say is around 40 grams would be kind of the the minimum. Now, is that going to vary? Of course, as there's going to be athletes who are just significantly smaller, like individuals right. who are under a hundred pounds or something like that, right. or, you know, under five foot, there's, there's going to be situations where that's going to obviously vary. Um, but that would be kind of the, the minimum threshold on that front. Of course, I, I like to push it to more of like, um, like, uh, 30 to between 30 and 40% of their total caloric intake would be kind of the, the middle ground, if you will, of, uh, I think seeing the most optimal functionality within their maintenance or into a surplus of of calories to uh, improve hormonal function as a whole. Okay. Okay. And then as far as protein, similarly, is there like a, Hey, we want to get you for sure to this point. And again, like I know a lot of this, even for the listener, so much of this is context dependent. Right. Of course. Um, I'm generally going to fall into the wide range of like 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of, of just total mass, honestly, unless they are over, um, extremely overweight or something of that nature, then there's going to be some variance there. But for the majority of individuals, it's going to sit in that 0.8 to 1.2 range, um, okay. for each person. Okay. I love it. That, that makes complete sense. And I think, yeah. again, again, we're very aligned there. I found most of the time and just like not even specific to females, but most clients as a whole, our number one priorities are typically like bump up the protein mm-hmm. a bit. There's typically one macronutrient, be it fat or carbs that is somewhat being under consumed, something more than on that. Um, and again, it sounds like we're very much in alignment there. So mm-hmm. as far as nutrition periodization goes, is there... <laughs> And again, this is probably an it depends question, but is there a general ratio of like cutting to building to maintenance phases that you like to see? Um, I like to break things down into like eight week windows so that we have some tangible um, set points. So for example, um, with all of our clients or clients that work with me specifically, uh, we're going to be able to, or we're going to make a big emphasis of putting photos side by side over the eight week phase and, um, putting data. That's kind of like our big checkpoint. Like each week we'll have check-ins, but at the eight week marker, it's like, okay, we've been in a surplus. We've been at maintenance. We've been at whatever for this long. How are we looking? What's the, what are the changes? What are some things that we could have improved on uh, as we go into the next kind of chapter? I like to look at them as chapters so that we have checkpoints among the entire way, because especially with uh, whether it be lifestyle or it, it be competitor based, you've got to have these smaller checkpoints because if you're just like, okay, we want to lose 20 pounds. Well, that's going to take some time. Um, and we've got to have some smaller checkpoints to make sure that we're staying along the way because it's very easy, especially within online coaching for it just to get kind of pushed by the wayside and and just like the weekly check-ins to take over. And then it's like, damn, you know, we're already at where like this dieting phase needs to end. We didn't reach our goal and we could, we should have been in a position early on to make better changes or understand what was not going right. Uh, rather than getting to this point and being like, well, we can't diet any longer just because we've extended this too far already. Um, and that, I mean, that happens with a, like a lot of people who call like with physique development, we get on calls and, um, when they're inquiring and things like that, like these dieting phases just get overextended because either the coach is not, having those checkpoints and then just kind of going until they get to the goal where it's like, well, damn, you've been in this dieting phase for six months and right. no one said anything. And it's like, right. yeah, I, I don't know. I was just following along and it's like, everybody just kind of gets lost in the, the, you know, busyness of life. 
Right, right. I couldn't agree more, man. Um, I think that one of the most helpful things that I've implemented is putting like a periodization planner right alongside the tracker, even like for me as a coach. Because like you said, I found when I first was like working with more clients online, just like you said, it is so easy to go check in and check in and check in. Like, oh shit, all of a sudden it's been four months. I'm like, yeah, this client's checking seemed good. They seem like the progress is good, but like, okay, we need a diet break sooner. We need a transition right. maintenance. So then again, as far as it sounds like you're essentially very clearly making sure that every eight weeks you're taking time to um, reestablish where the client is at. And then that's kind of where you're determining like the next nutrition phase, so to speak. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and within that kind of looking at, okay, this is where we were at, like maybe we had a diet break in that eight week window or we had refeeds implemented. Uh, how, what was our response there? What did photos look like? Um, how was training? How was sleep? All those different things. And just keeping that report within their check-in and kind of going over it with them at that eight week marker within their, uh, within their check-ins to better describe what we need to see better. And if it requires us to get on a call and because there, there's been times where it's like, Hey, we went over this eight week and the adherence was very poor. What is going to you know, stop this from happening in the next eight week phase? Right. Um, or do we need to take a break? Like, is it really just not of a priority for you right this second to, to lose the body fat or to gain the muscle mass? Like, do you just need a break? And, and that's, that's fair. Like for the listeners, if you're a client and you're finding that it's just not the right time for you, be vocal with your coach. Like your coach is going to understand it's, it's more fulfilling from a coaching perspective, of course, to work with clients who are wanting to be there and, and putting in the effort and things of that nature. And it's not a knock on you if it's just not the right time, like come back when right. it's, it's time to go and, uh, or when it's the right time for you and, and you'll be significantly happier with the results. Right. Right. I couldn't agree more, man. I think that one of the things that I always very much try to make clear to my clients is like, you're not doing any of this for me. I think so many people get in the mindset like, fuck, I'm sick of dieting, but I don't want to let my coach down. It's like, I'm, right. I have no attachment to, in the best way possible, I have no attachment to your outcome. I want you to achieve whatever makes you happiest and most fulfilled as a client. Right. Right. I, I love that, man. So then for like, let's say not someone that's ready to hop on stage, but just like a lifestyle focused client that again, wants to just build a great physique for just to feel good, feel more confident. Is there like across the course of a year, is there like, Hey, we want to spend about this much time cutting versus building versus that. Business? That's a good question. And so with that, um, I like to kind of map out what's going on with them in terms of, do you have any weddings coming up? Do you have any vacations? Like how can we best structure this to facilitate towards your life right. rather than just being like, okay, we're going to be in this dieting phase for eight weeks. Well, uh, I've got, you know, a wedding at week three, and then I've also got to be in a wedding at week seven. And then we also have a vacation. So it's like, well, this is a horrible time for us to try to diet. And so, right more so maneuvering around their lifestyle and what's going to be best for them is, right. is going to be the, the biggest thing. So, uh, getting on calls, like I, I'm just a big call person in general calls and, and, um, having open dialogue is, is huge. Uh, so I think that catering it around that and giving them an understanding of like, Hey, we can't be, because there's, there's many individuals from a lifestyle perspective where it's like, the only time that I really want to track is when I am dieting. Like, I just don't, I think that I want to recharge when I'm not dieting. And it's like, well, this is a really horrible loop to get into. Like, we want to use this time 
of tracking to better facilitate knowledge for you, you know, 10 years down the road to where you don't need this app. You don't need the, the coaching itself. You simply have all the tools and it's ingrained into your brain at this point to make better nutritional choices, to make better training sessions, to make better just choices in general, um, and making this habitual, um, for a healthy lifestyle, uh, for the long haul. I love that, man. I couldn't agree more. So then when we are going into the diet phase, are you more likely or is your approach to diet breaks, refeeds, et cetera, any different for women versus men? I wouldn't say so. No. Um, I would say the only difference is the quantity of food that would be in place. So the, the size of the diet break being, uh, less in terms of caloric increase over that time frame, Um, and, also just taking the data points from week to, or I'm sorry, like refeed to refeed or from diet break to diet break uh, and understanding what the response was within their training, within their sleep, um, being very, very attentive to the biofeedback itself. And so if I was to put numbers on it, um, I would say that the, the diet break or the um, refeed being 48 hours or 72 hours, whatever it would be, being mm-hmm. between like uh, the diet break being closer to like 200 to 300 calorie increases over that time frame, whether I'm taking that away from cardio or I'm adding that in through food, both of those being my two drivers there. And then within um, like the refeeds and things like that, again, my the cardio or the nutrition could be the, the big driver on that front. Um, nutrition within a refeed being more of a driver. But, uh, again, that would be between 150 to 300 calorie increases over those, uh, couple of days each day to, to better enhance the training, sleep, digestion, all the, the biofeedback markers. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. That makes complete sense. So as far as nutrition goes, I feel like we've covered that pretty thoroughly. I want to dive into more specific of of the build like a building phase in just a bit here but i'd love to dive into training a little bit more first so when you're designing a training program um are there any like special physiological considerations that you're taking in here again when we're talking about designing a program for the female athlete um, they can handle a little bit more volume more often than not. So a little bit more volume is going to be a, a big piece. And then just making an, an emphasis on, on recovery. Like, uh, as long as they are in a, a, a training stimulus that they can recover from is the, the biggest thing. And so many women come to physique development in the, in the sense of like more metabolically taxing training, very, lots of supersets, lots of trisets, lots of high repetition work high volume work as a whole. And so we've got to get them into something that's more trainable. Um, and that being generally more of a strength based phase. And, and some of them have never, never lifted, you know, in a rep range of, of five repetitions, four repetitions, six repetitions. And so getting them into a place of like, even knowing what weight they want to use is a big, big, big piece at the beginning of like, you're this strong. Like, I, they're, they're always, you know, astounded that they're as strong as they really are. Um, and it's like, no, you can lift this weight. It's just a matter of, of having the confidence. And like I said at the beginning where they haven't had someone in the gym really push them. They've right. trained by themselves for the entire time they've ever worked out. And so they've always been the determinant of like what they're capable of. And now they have this external source of like, no, definitely go up. No, definitely go up. And it's like, 
I've never lifted this. And it's like, I know. <laughs> we, yeah, I can, I can tell we, we're going to, you know, uh, get a lot stronger throughout this phase. And um, it's always, it's just so cool for women in general to find that, um, that strength within them because that carries over into their confidence, that carries over into so many other things of their life uh, that, you know, can't be replaced. Oh, I couldn't agree more, man. One of my favorite things is for many of the women that I work with to help them like achieve their first pull up. And I think that that's like always seems to be like, holy shit, like that's the coolest thing. It's very, it's very empowering in a way. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's very empowering for them to be able to do like multiple push ups, to be able to do multiple pull ups, like all those different aspects. Um, it's just super empowering. I love it, man. So why is it that women, if you don't mind diving into this, that you found women can handle more volume? Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that, um, within that, if like from the research that I've read, especially within cardio too, where women can withstand a little bit more cardio, um, in a dieting phase and be able to hold on to tissue comparatively right. to men. Um, and, and so that's very evident throughout the research itself. And so I think that that has carry over to the resistance training as a whole. I would say that a lot of what I'm speaking on within the training is more anecdotal than anything. Right. Um, but it also has to do with training age as as well. So even with some of the women who I have who have a uh, a greater depth to their training age, at that point I've got to bring down the volume a little bit for them. Um, so it, it's all uh, as much as I, I hate to say it, it's a very it depends answer. But um, <laughs> it, it it truthfully is going to be a lot of like with with our training with at physique development that initial. Th- three weeks with us, whatever that phase is, is really going to be a feeler. And then you kind of just manipulate the volume from that initial phase. And then, and you just continue to fine tune things as you see the check-ins and things like that. Um, I know that for the client or for the listeners, it's like, well, dude, I'm not a client of yours and I don't know if I ever will be. So how the hell, how the hell am I going to apply this? What I will tell you is that, uh, when you do pick training and things of that nature, um, just being, being honest with your biofeedback, your stress, your sleep, your digestion, because all those things are going to be affected by your training. Um, and if you see that those things are starting to, um, you know, fall by the wayside, making sure that all your nutrition is in place. But, uh, if, if the volume is, is, is high and you're having those adverse effects, maybe backing off a little bit, seeing if that alleviates things and going from there. Okay. Okay. I love it. I think that that's very applicable. I know there's some different potentially more like slow twitch muscle fibers and estrogen potential data recovery, but it's such like a, it's not a topic I can say I understand well enough to explain either. So yeah, perfect. But anecdotally, I've seen the same thing. Um, then when we're talking about like, okay, we're potentially focused on a strength phase, for example, at physique development, do you have a specific, like, again, we were off air, we were talking about having, how I had Cody Moxley of N1 on, and he was kind of diving into like the different phases of training that they typically take clients through. Do you have like, Hey, these, this is our typical from mesocycle to mesocycle. This is our progression. Like we have, for example, strength phase and metabolite phase, et cetera. Or do you have a, do you have a rhyme or reason to that? We, we program very similar to similar, similarly to N1 <laughs> in that sense of, of having the, uh, the strength-based work, the metabolite work, hypertrophy work, um, and undulating those things in that fashion um, and, and trying to section them off rather than having uh, you know, portions. And I've programmed this way in the past where it was a section of it would be more strength-based, a section of that training session would be more hypertrophy-based, and then a little bit more metabolite work at the, at the end. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that approach if done very well. Right. Um, 
but I think that it, I've seen better results at a more efficient rate, breaking it down in more of a, um, singular stimulus, um, perspective within those, uh, cycles of, of the training itself. Okay. Okay. And that's definitely a direction I've shifted more to as well. Yeah. It's a little bit more complex. Uh, you have to make sure that the, uh, the athlete is performing it correctly because the thing is with online coaching is that when you're sending out the training, it's, you can have one intent and then the client can completely misinterpret or just not do the training stimulus correctly. And it can elicit a completely different, uh, pathway and, and different response. And then your programming is off and you're like, I don't really understand why this is wrong, but it's just that they were at a misunderstanding or something of that nature. Okay. So at physique development, what do you do to make sure that you're very much on the same page there? Lots of videos. Oh my gosh. Uh, lots of videos, lots of voice memos. Uh, so when we send out new training, everybody gets their like a voice memo that goes along with it, uh, explaining specifically how they should feel uh, during the training sessions, what the intensity is going to be, what RPE we're wanting to to shoot for throughout the training, uh, if we're taking any sets to failure, what we're looking for within that failure, um, and then what the what the goal is of the stimulus as a whole, how to coordinate their nutrition around the. Tr- training. And then we do a lot of videos of like, okay, send me, these are the exercises that we have a priority this, this phase. I want to see videos of these every week, um, so that we can ensure everything is, is on point And we're seeing the progression that we want. Um, because everybody, even myself, uh, when, when I have the camera on and I'm doing an exercise, like I'm going to be more crisp with that video on, uh, with that load comparatively to like no video. Right. it's always going to sharpen you up a little bit. The only, the only crappy part is when people are in the gym, they lose their music or whatever, if they don't have like a separate camera. (laughs) So, um, that's always the crappy part of like, uh, it's my final set. I'm going to failure here and I've got to do it to, you know, whatever's playing at the gym, which Lord knows, you know, what that could even be. So (laughs) I, I videos uh, again, uh, especially I would say over the last six months, something we've been implementing a lot more heavily as well. And like for me personally, like when I started working with my newest coach, dude who's coaching me, Steve Hall, um, super heavy on videos. And I realized like, damn, this is the first time in probably two years, if not longer that I've actually like seen myself perform a dumbbell roll, for example, and this doesn't look nearly as good as I thought it did. Right. And similarly for clients, we found that extremely helpful. I think it's something that's like, it's so simple, but that's truly where so much of like the intent and the actual results of like whatever your muscle cycle comes from. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and it just, it gives you that tangible data of like, I am progressing or I'm not. And you have a lot more points to look at comparatively to being like, well, with the dumbbell row, for example, I didn't go up and wait, but when you look at the photo or the video side by side, you're like, Oh, you know, my, my execution improved, my control of this improved, um, you know, whatever it is. Right. Right. No, I love that. I couldn't agree more. So from there, since it sounds like the strength phase is typically, I'm not going to make you like dive into all these, You're okay. things, but the strength phase specifically, are there some general, like just general guidelines? Like, Hey, how do we structure this? Because it sounds like in your experience, and I would agree, that's probably what most newer women to this are missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely progression within those, uh, strength phases and, and kind of finding a, uh, a, a set point of what 
uh, like set allotment they can handle of more of the compound movements is something that would be that we would be assessing at the beginning. And then from there, progressing within maybe tempo allocations or uh, focusing on load. So more often than not, it's going to start with a pretty simple tempo allocation of like uh, maybe a one second or a you know, one second pause in the the eccentric or I'm sorry in the lengthened position uh, or the bottom of a squat or something of that nature just to teach better control because oftentimes within that control is something where they're under heavy loads they're kind of bugging out because it's like dude this is heavy I got to stand up as soon as possible type situation and so getting them comfortable under that load with a pause is helpful and so progressing that to maybe two seconds would be an easy progression there, um, as well as progressing from a, a load perspective, which is going to be the biggest progression for them, especially if they've never you know, lifted at that load. Those uh, those adaptations are going to happen pretty rapidly, and their strength is going to, to skyrocket pretty quickly. Um, so that's the biggest progression, especially in those initial ones. You can get more intricate with the progressions as time goes on and you're working with them for longer durations, and they're starting to see some... Um, you know, slowing of that strength, but especially in the first, you know, six months to a year of programming for an individual through those strength phases, you're going to see some pretty awesome strides just simply focusing right. on, on weight itself. So as far as exercise selection goes within this phase, do you have some general guidelines or does it very much just like, Hey, this pretty much exclusively depends on the individual. Uh, some general guidelines would just be paying attention to how frequently I'm loading the spine, um, making a, a huge point of not doing that too frequently. So, uh, for example, if they are, I try to keep it as, as quote unquote minimal as possible. I would do my best to not have them doing something like a, a barbell RDL and then pairing that with like, or, you know, later on or beforehand having like a barbell back squat. It's just going to be a lot for their um, central nervous system to really handle. It's going to be a lot of systemic stress as a whole and they're just not going to recover. Uh, so a simple fix to that, let's say we're using the barbell back squat as our uh, glute driver uh, as far as like a, a main progression movement. Maybe we make that the leg press as, as long as they can execute well in the leg press. And then we use the barbell RDL uh, to still target the glutes as well, but also having our, our big hamstring movement as well. Um, so making it that way or, you know, vice versa of, of utilizing maybe a, a it's not going to be a, a direct correlation, but you could do like a seated hamstring curl instead. Right. Um, and then having that barbell back squat still be present. Okay. Okay. And then finally, as far as rep ranges, are there some general ranges you want to work in within this phase? Um, I would say between three and six would be kind of the, the happy median. Uh, with larger muscle groups, I'll be willing to go down uh, lower uh, for things that are like, uh, like a dumbbell lateral raise, I'd be willing to still be around eight repetitions where nice. that's still going to be a, a strength repetition allotment for that specific type of movement. Um, so like smaller muscle groups, I'll be willing to go all the way up to eight for larger muscle groups. It'd be between three and six. Okay. I'm not going to have you do three reps of a lateral raise. <laughs> Hit your three at max there. <laughs> um, so finally I want to dive into like building phases specifically here just because i love talking talking Absolutely. about this topic for both women and men i found that like a phase really devoted to just feeding your body more focusing on getting stronger building muscles the thing that most people who haven't been able to achieve the physique they want are missing so when we're talking about structuring let's dive into nutrition first when we're talking about structuring a building phase 
for women kind of going into this? Is there a mindset you kind of try to instill with your clients? Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, From a a mindset perspective, we are really prioritizing body image, making sure that they are overall in a a good place physically to get into that growth phase. Because if if you're already in a position of, um, you know, battling some of those internal demons before you even get into this uh, into a phase of where you probably are going to be adding some fat tissue, Mm -hmm. it's just not a it's just not a recipe for for good. Uh, So getting that hammered away, whether that be them going to see a professional or just working through some, some general basic things of, of getting into a better spot, um, is the, the number one thing. And so making that a, a big priority and, and making sure that they know what's, you know, what's on the horizon, um, going over the game plan. How long are we going to be doing this? What's our emphasis? What do we want to see in terms of changes within the physique? Um, what's my approach in terms of how quickly am I going to push up nutrition? Do I have a goal of, of where I want their calories to be? Uh, and just giving them more insight is going to put them in a better position. And as long as they're at an understanding and you're not just like blindly pushing forward and, and pushing up calories and being like, well, dude, I don't, I don't know if I want to eat all that food or I don't know if I you know, want to keep making this big, these big jumps. That's just, you know, poor planning on the, on the coach's end, if that's the case. Okay. Okay. And then is there a specific rate of gain that you're usually looking for in the building phase? Oh, this is, this, this varies for sure. Um, in terms of, of gain from a a scale perspective, um, I'm going to keep it fairly minimal. I'm not going to, uh, make a huge push, especially within the uh, females. This is one where it does vary quite a bit where with males, we can see the scale trend up quite quickly, um, and still be okay. Uh, from a, a research perspective within what I've seen within males is that, uh, it's going to be under like 20% of, of, total body fat being still a good range to put on muscle tissue. I like it being closer to about 12 to 13%, um, for, for men specifically just to one, again, body image, mental, mental health as a whole, you're going to feel a lot better at 12 to 13 than you do at 20. Um, and then with women specifically, um, from a percentage perspective, it's, it's hard to tell just because they're all going to store so differently. Um, but I think that keeping it on the more minimal side, again, is going to keep everyone in a, a good headspace and allow for them to have better training sessions as a whole. Uh, so I'm going to be really playing more so to less of, of how is the scale trending, but more of where's the biofeedback, how are physique photos looking, and then from there, um, you know, pushing forward from a training perspective. Because when we're in hypertrophy phases and we're really pushing uh, a lot of attention and, and uh, those micro tears being very high, inflammation running a little high, we're going to see, you know, some of those surges in, in the scale, which is going to teeter, you know, as, as we come out and we, we deload and things of that nature, that inflammation is going to fall and then we'll get right back into it. So scale readings are, um, interesting in a growth phase. Just be, I mean, just because of the the hard push that you're doing with training. Okay. Okay. So then what are the biggest, as, as you know, I'm sure many of listeners know, like it's much different being in a building phase as opposed to a fat loss phase or a fat loss phase. We can almost literally see your body changing every week. Building phase, we can go weeks and weeks and weeks and it's like, hey, from last week to this week, I really don't see very much difference. So what are the kind of the metrics that you're honing in on with your clients to ensure that they're making progress? Yeah. Uh, so in a, in a building phase, we're going to make a huge point of, of training execution as well as load. So mm-hmm. making a huge point to, um, 
you know, whatever movements they are wanting to improve upon being a, a big emphasis. And then we have life goals. Uh, I, I try to put in a lot of just general uh, life things that are going to transpire, whether that be a goal of like reading X amount of books per month, um, getting into a course that they've been you know, pushing off or just any, any things that anything that's been brought up within their check-in that is going to further enhance their overall life and well-being, right. uh, we make that a big priority too. So it's like training that and really focusing on just feeling good, sleep, um, being big drivers. So focusing very heavily on the biofeedback, life stuff, training, so that they're not just solely looking at the scale, looking at photos and being like, dude, we've been pushing hard for about two weeks here and I don't see anything. And it's like, eh, it's only been two weeks. So it's like, <laughs> we've got to have other things to, to focus on in that time frame uh, to see success. And so, and then still using that eight week marker to, to better evaluate, okay, how are physique photos looking? Because between those eight weeks, we should see some, you know, some shift, whether that be like sarcoplasmic and just fullness, or uh, we're really seeing some density added to that tissue. Uh, one of the other is going to have to be transpiring at that point. And if neither of those are happening by eight weeks, like you've really got to reassess what your game plan is, or if they're just not executing well, or you know whatever it is. Okay, okay, I love that as far as focusing on other aspects of your life as well, and like outside of just training and nutrition, like adding these other things to your life because again, you have so much more energy, almost like more mental power to be able to focus exactly. on all these other parts of your life. Whereas, especially if you're getting super lean, it's hard to focus on very much else outside of it. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's tough. I mean, it, it's always tough. And so, um, and it's even more of a marathon in terms of going through this growth phase. And it's not necessarily something that uh, it's not glamorous. It's certainly not always what you want to share on, on Instagram by interest right. imagination. And so that's always tough for, uh, people who have always been maybe chronically in a dieting phase or generally leaner and they share their story on Instagram and that's, they get, you know, love for that leaner self. And then to go on the flip side and then ha carry more body fat or, or not be in a position where they can, you know, share as, as easily as they had in the past is, is quite the, is quite the shift mentally. And so just being prepared for that and kind of navigating through that with the client is important. Okay. Okay. I couldn't agree more. And then is there typically a minimum length? I know again, you said you typically implement like eight week blocks. Is there typically a minimum length? Like you'll push someone to be in a growth phase like this? Yeah, I would say the minimum is going to be between three and four months as like the the true minimum. I would love for it to be um, closer to like the five or six month range with uh, maybe some mini cuts implemented if, if necessary, if we start to see um, too much body fat being present or if we see uh, just insulin sensitivity uh, going off the rails or something of that nature, uh, being very cognizant with that. And, and also within those growth phases, I'm generally addressing some of the, any of the hormonal shifts that we would see. So blood work is, is huge within our clients. And so anything that would be off from that blood work before us getting into the the growth phase, if you will, um, is going to be something that I address as well. And I'm if some of the listeners may be like, well, if something's wrong with them hormonally, why are you pushing them into a growth phase? And fair. Um, but I will say that generally like with everybody, there's always going to be something that can be improved from a right. sex hormone production or thyroid production or, um, or thyroid function, I should say anything. And so those little things can be addressed simultaneously and, and generally are going to be elevated within or should be uh, potentially elevated within, um, 
those growth phases anyway. Okay. Okay. Perfect. I love it. I think that all this has been very applicable. The last question I wanted to ask you was a bit more mindset related. I know we already touched on mindset specific to the building phase, but as a whole, are there any specific mindset principles that you at physique development really try to instill in your clients? Yeah. Um, from a, from a mindset perspective, I think that, uh, just being overall capable of what they want to achieve is, is huge. I think that many people get a little scared by the goals that they have. And so giving them the tools and giving them kind of that permission, if you will, to believe in those goals and to be able to really chase these almost outlandish if you know to them they may feel outlandish but the reality is is that the goals that these uh, the clients come to us with are, are very attainable provided that the timetable is correct and, and things of that nature like I have full confidence that the plan that I'm going to put into place or any of the coaches at physique development put into place are going to be able to achieve whatever that goal is um so I think being capable and just overall just working hard and, and utilizing uh, training and those aspects to enhance their life as a whole. Uh, that's big for me is that many people come to us and it's the diet, the training is all taking away from their life. They, they feel right. as though it's this big burden and getting them out of this place where it's like, dude, we can still enjoy life. You can still go on your date nights. You can still have time out with your friends and have these goals that you have within your fitness. Like it's not one or the other. Uh, and I think that that thought process is, is moving with the times. Like I think that majority of people are on that same wave of like, this is all very doable. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, and that's, you know, from a mindset perspective, something that we really drive home with, with clients as a whole. I love it, man. Such a good podcast. Um, so much helpful information. I love the mindset perspective you shared there as well. Before I let you go, I know you got the iPhone launch you get to. Um, <laughs> we just tell everyone where they can find you and anything at all you'd like to plug. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Alex Bush, B-U-S-H underscore underscore. Um, you can find Physique Development at uh, on Instagram as well at Physique Development. Uh, underscore. And then we have our website at just physiquedevelopment.com. Uh, you can find all of our uh, articles and uh, client testimonials, all the fun stuff, inquire for coaching there. And then you've got our YouTube, which is just again, physique development. And those would be the main places to to find us. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. It was, it's been a, a blast. I think that we touched on a lot of, of applicable things for everybody to be able to implement and, and, you know, get their brain turning. Cause that's always my, my goal within these podcasts is to get the brain turning, not try to just give you the answers to whatever right. and more so put you in a place where you're, you're furthering your own knowledge, asking more questions, asking follow-up questions. Uh, and, and please, you know, follow up with uh, either of us on any of these topics to, to better your understanding as a whole. That's what we're, we're here for. Absolutely. And I've said this both with Sue and Austin on the show as well, but physique development, YouTube, and your website are both such great resources as far as like, talking about further knowledge from like, an execution perspective. Basically, anything we talked about, Thank you. dive into the YouTube and I, I will link all that up in the show notes, but again, such good resources there. So again, man, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you.